Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministry. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries, or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now here's Pastor Jimmy Fry with today's message. I'll be preaching out of 1 Corinthians 4. Um, We'll be reading verses 10 through 14. I was talking to Ed Regal before church started, and he said since it is his birthday, I can go ahead and mention him in the sermon today. And I said, Ed, it's really fitting because my title is Holy Fool. (laughs) But that's all I'll say of you, Ed, okay? When you get there to 1 Corinthians, stand to your feet. It says, we are fools for Christ's sake. I just want to pause there for a second. Because we, we read that and you think, what kind of church did I come to today? And I'll tell you, you came to a Bible preaching church. So I want to read that again. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word today. Lord, I'm thankful that uh, you spoke through the Apostle Paul in this way that is uh, just so sharp and so pointed, God. And might, uh, might we be called to the reckoning table today and, uh, Lord, become uh, the holy fools that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every single one of us here today are rushing towards the moment that our heartbeat will stop. It's a great way to start a sermon, isn't it? Aren't you excited for this one now? We're all sliding down this hill to the moment that our pulse will fade from fast to faint to finished. It's truly the biggest elephant in the room, yet we have trained our minds to paint over the reality that for every one of us, death will come knocking. Every day it seems that we find a thousand things to distract us from the reality of mortality. We've made ourselves too busy to die And forgotten the very reason that we were made alive. 
Every person averages 4,000 aimless steps a day, never once considering eternity, not just of our soul, but every soul will someday face. We have this pursuit of the American dream, higher paying jobs, secular education, successful businesses, entertainment, philosophies, busyness, busyness, busyness. And to top it all off, the grand distraction, spiritual indifference. How grand is the imagined landscape that we have placed at the edge of the cliff that keeps us from seeing the reality? There seems to be this silent pact between us and our neighbors to ignore the reality of eternity. Blaise Pascal said, man's sensitivity to little things and insensitivity to the greatest things are marks of a strange disorder. We are plagued with a strange disorder. Spiritual indifference. A person's every day spent on hobbies, celebrities, news, politics, jobs, labors, and stresses is mostly a daydream state. Staring at this elusive backdrop we've placed before the edge of a cliff that has lured so many into complacency. But we're all still barreling towards the cliff. Even though we choose to not see it, never considering the very reason for which we were created. Though we're, though we're surrounded by this unexplainable beauty. Stars that stretch farther than anything that man creates can see. Placed somewhere in the middle of this rock, this incomprehensible universe still most people stand in apathy to eternity. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, it's one thing to not know something. It's another thing to suppress something you do know. This is why Paul writes to the Corinthian church. This church that he himself had planted, his beloved children, they had become comfortably numb. And when we get to this section of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul's tone changes and it reaches this level of sarcasm. My love language sarcasm, or we could call it sanctified sarcasm. Paul goes into this sarcastic talk that many today would misquote, um, and he calls the Corinthians kings. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 8, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich Without us, you have become kings. Couldn't this have been spoken to the church of America today? 
If the apostles showed up and looked at our churches in the way that our preachers preach, in the way that professing Christians live, couldn't he say the same thing sarcastically? He says, and would that you did reign so that we might share in the rule with you. For I I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men to be sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. This word spectacle here has an intriguing meaning. You see, during battles, the the winning army would march back to their homeland in this parade-type style. And at the end of the line would be all those who had been captured and made slaves in the war. They were the spectacle. That's what Paul's saying. You're a king, and here I am at the back of the line, mocked. How how can it be this way? He goes on, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. The garbage, the trash of all things. Paul's really going going hard after these people, right? This is no love letter from the Apostle Paul. It's a real kick in the pants. There was a contentment in the world. Physical comforts had given these professing Christians a security. They had grown indifferent to the spiritual things that they possessed. He's saying, here's what we are. Here's what you are. I've often wondered how two different people can claim to be Christians can claim to follow the same book and teaching, and one lives as a king and a friend of the world, and the other is the fool. How does it happen that way? 1 Timothy 6, 6-7, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Instead of godliness with contentment, they had worldliness with contentment. To say the world loves me is a pitiful reward. It's an absolutely pitiful reward. The church of Corinth was reluctant to accept the suffering of Christ. Reluctant to accept the label that came with it. They rejected the label of the fool. Rendering them ineffective. How many live this way today? Coasting through life like they found an easier route to glory outside of the suffering of the cross. Listen, if that's your life, it's heresy. 
If that's your life, your life is saying the gospel is a lie. Church, we've been called to be holy fools. And just to be clear on what a fool is, I looked up some synonyms for us. Idiot, halfwit, nincompoop, blockhead, buffoon, dunce, imbecile, moron, simpleton, dope, chump, dimwit, nitwit, goon, dumbo, dummy, dum-dum. How many have been called one of those names? today. (laughs) The call of Christ is a call to step into the life of a fool, to be made a spectacle of in front of the entire world. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, for the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How many, how many sermons are being preached in the world today that the world would tune into and be entertained by? I want someone to hear me preach and say, that guy is anything from that list I just read. I don't want to make sense to the world. I don't want to be friends with the world. Folly used here, foolishness, comes from the Greek word moria, uh, which has the root of the Greek word moros, which is where we get our English word moron. This is great, isn't it? Birds of a feather flock together, right? What does the world think of you, moron? Right? We we live in this world today where there are countless books and blogs and vlogs and influencers and preachers and teachers suggesting ways for Christians pandering after the world's good opinion, trying to invent ways of becoming all buddy-buddy to the world so that then we might have influence over them. Then people think, when I'm in the right position, when I've been elevated high enough and have the right influence and get the microphone, then I will give God the glory. Fitting in the world and giving God the glory is not how Christianity works. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's from James. You see, the requirement for the Christian is foolishness. Foolishness. And some of you are saying, I've been a Christian my whole life and didn't even know it. No, not that kind of foolishness. It's a biblical foolishness. You see, the world will never think that Jesus is cool. 
They will never think that Jesus is cool. Sure, they have this remade, deconstructed, hip, all-inclusive Jesus, but that's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's just not. Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners because he made them feel comfortable. He wasn't their friend because he walked in stride with them. He was a friend of sinners because he called out their sin and then died for it. That's a friend. You see, I want to be a holy fool. I want a church of holy fools. Our calling is to be a holy fool. The imbecile in the world that tears down this faux backdrop to reveal the reality of the cliff that this world pretends to be ignorant of. Death is coming and judgment thereafter. If I have to lean over the edge and catch the hands of the perishing, I'll do it. I'll do it. You see, the church should be standing at the base of this cliff with their arms open, shouting the gospel, revealing the realities of the cliff. But we've set ourselves in a place where we end up blending in with the backdrop. Painting the, ele- the elephant as to not cause uneasiness or division. Sitting with our arms folded as souls plunge into the depths of hell for eternity. All because we care about our little tiny feelings. More than someone else's eternal destination. If you're ever going to reach the lost or leave a mark on this world worth anything, you are going to have to embrace the label of fool. I wonder how many people have honestly ever taken a hold of that which is truly life. Meaning absolutely everything laid bare, seeing your life as the vapor that it is, and embracing your new position in this world as dunce. Do you bear the mark of the fool? There's a Greek word in the Bible, stigma. It's a mark pricked in or branded upon the body. Uh, In ancient use, slaves and soldiers would bear the name or the stamp of their master or commander branded or cut into their bodies to indicate what master or general they belonged to. There were even people who stamped themselves in devotion to gods. Paul says in Galatians 6, 17, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the stigma of Jesus. Christian, do you bear the marks of Christ or the marks of the world? When you are exhausted at the end of the week, does it show the marks of the kingdom or the marks of the world? You see, I think it's easy to tell those who have forsaken the world, who have been 
taken by this label of foolishness because they wear the marks. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, they arm themselves with the same way of thinking. Those people bear the mark. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The mark causes you to cease from sin. They're not surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon them to test them, but rejoice insofar as to share Christ's sufferings that they may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Those who have taken this mark of fool have eager expectation and hope. They will not be at all ashamed But that, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in their body, whether by life or by death. Fools. Absolute fools. For these fools, to them, to live is Christ. To die is gain. They will most gladly spend and be spent for souls. Foolishness to the world, but the power of God. To us. They rejoice that they're counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. They act with great boldness, are filled with comfort in their affliction, are overflowing with joy. They are immovable, undaunted in affliction because they know they're commissioned to suffering this affliction and tribulation. They're afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. They're persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. You see, holy fools are not here for others' opinions. They are not here for the applause of man. They are here to establish a kingdom. The kingdom, God's kingdom, and for no glory of their own but for his glory. The holy fool. They proudly wear the stigma, the marks of their Lord. They wear it as Paul did as he went in to preach the gospel to the Areopagus. This probably most brilliant man the world has ever seen next to Jesus goes before this enlightened elite. He stands in the midst of them. And he declares in Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by rising him from the dead. And they mocked him. They mocked him at mentioning the resurrection of the dead, but Paul didn't care because he was a holy fool. Didn't care. He did not care what the elite thought of him. He cared what his king thought of him. I got to share in youth on Wednesday night about Peter and John in Acts 4 and 5 preaching Christ crucified in the resurrection of the dead. In the middle of the town, they're preaching, they're arrested, they're taken before the leaders, the scribes, the rulers, and asked by what power they had healed a man. 
And Peter says, in the name of Jesus, of Nazareth, whom you crucified. These people could have put him to death. Yet he's calling them out for murder. That's a fool. That's a fool. Whom you crucified and God raised from the dead. Holy fools call out the sins of leaders. <laughs> so they're ordered to stop preaching or else. And we get the holy fool's response to this. He says, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You just can't help it. We're just going to keep doing it. You can't stop us. You can threaten us. You can punish us. But we can't help but keep speaking. And some of us, we, we, we stop at the slightest discomfort of preaching the gospel. So they further threaten them. And it's no later than chapter 5, they're, they're out preaching like fools again. After saying, you need to stop, or we're, we're really going to take this serious, we're going to punish you terribly. They're preaching again, they're arrested. Their question is to why they did not obey, why they did not shut their mouth about the gospel. And they reply, we must obey God rather than man. Period. The response of a holy fool. So now they're charged again to no longer speak the name of Jesus. They're beaten, but then how does the holy fool respond? They left the presence of the council. They left the beating, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. That's a holy fool. And every day after, they continued to preach Christ. That's how Christianity works. That's how Christianity wins. So how is it we call ourselves by the same name as these men, yet we shrink back at the thought of being set apart from the world? Why do we cling so tight to temporal feelings of acceptance? We must allow ourselves to be unleashed by the Spirit, making us a holy fool to the world. This world is perishing, and we allow our value and self-esteem to keep us from exposing the reality of the cliff that they are soon to fall from. Jim Elliott is a martyr who said, it makes me boil when I think of the power we profess in the utter impotency of our action. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott is a fool that most of us probably have never heard of. He took the gospel to an Indian tribe that had killed every single visitor that had ever come to visit them. 
He died at the end of a spear at 28 years old, leaving behind a wife and a 10-month-old child. What a fool, right? Killed by the people he was trying to win. He never even got to preach the gospel to him as far as we know. What good is such a foolish act, we might ask? Well, many in that tribe have since accepted the gospel. You see, if you don't think the gospel is worth your life, then it sure is foolishness. But those who believe it is the power of God unto salvation, and they are not ashamed. They are not scared. They are not wimps. They aren't motivated by self-esteem, but by God-esteem. That's a holy fool. You have been listening to Pastor Jimmy Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.